1: Hi, everyone. This is Erica Aguilar, editor for The Bay. After the recent shootings, and especially after the ones in Gilroy and El Paso, where the suspects have alluded to or just flat out said that they were targeting Latinos, I have been walking around with this feeling of anxiousness, you know, wondering if people notice me and my brown eyes and my dark hair and my tan skin. I wonder if they, if they hate me. Or if they feel sorry for me. I wonder if they care. It's a feeling that I think other Latinos here in the Bay Area are also feeling right now. That's
2: when I knew, like, well, those bullets were meant for me.
3: It's also a little bit scary because, you know, this frugal district in Oakland is a, it's a huge land, land community here
2: we're both gonna like rise from this, I feel like I needed to
1: hear that from someone who's like from here. Today on the show, we are going to talk to Latinos in the Bay to hear how they are coping with the shootings that have targeted people like them. I'm Erica Aguilar, welcome to the Bay. I
2: am half from Juarez and half from El Paso. I just like to say the border. I'm from the border. Vianney Alderete-Contreras is an engagement producer for KQED. It's like when you're from the Bay, you know, yeah. sometimes you go to Oakland and then like, I don't know, you have family, NSF, and you go back and forth. So like that, the way that's like Fluidity. very fluid, that's me, yeah.
1: but two countries. I'm from San Antonio. We just met. Like, I didn't know you a couple days ago. On Friday. We met Friday. Oh,
2: my God, we've known each other for six days.
1: <laughs> the thing that we bonded over immediately was the fact that we're both, like, from this place, right? This, from, from Tejas. Um, and maybe more importantly was that we're both Latinas. So when the shooting happened in El Paso... It happened in the morning because I remember waking up to these news alerts I saw and I was just really, really shocked. And I was heartbroken because um, El Paso, San Antonio, it's all Texas and it's all home for me, you know. But you grew up in El Paso there. Tell me how you heard about the shooting and what you felt when you heard about it. So I work at KQED on the weekends.
2: (laughs) And I was in the newsroom and my mom sent me a text message and then I googled it and I saw a few articles and then maybe five minutes after it happened, I saw it on the TV. So that's when I knew.
1: Willie, good morning. The Walmart behind me
0: remains a crime scene. That's where that mass shooting took place just a few hours ago. At about
3: 10.40 a.m. on Saturday morning, we are told a lone gunman walked into that parking lot and began to open fire. There were some
0: 3,000 people, upwards
3: of 3,000 people. Inside.
2: And then I saw um, your message on Slack. And we had never talked before, but I saw E. He- Aguilar. And you sent me you weren't even that specific, but the way you the words that you chose and the meaning that you gave it and you put a few words in Spanish and like it made it made all the it has made all the difference now because I don't feel as alone. Why did you do it so and
1: so fast and you thought about me? I I think we didn't even know information that the shooter was attacking you know, Latinos and Hispanics yet. But when you grow up in a Latino-majority city like we did, um, you just kind of know. And I didn't want you to feel alone. And I wanted you to also know that there was somebody else who felt like you did. All that weekend, I tried, like, really hard avoiding reading any of this information about the shooters. And, like, you know, they kept talking about the manifesto and stuff. And I was really trying hard not to read the manifesto because um, I didn't want to give him that attention. But I also I just kept wondering, like, why did he do this? And was he attacking, like, me like, was it that? Like, I know that the media kept talking about, like, an attack on Latinos, but I just didn't—I just needed a know for myself. So then I read it. I did, too, but I had to do it
2: because ignorance is bliss, and we, like, can't be ignorant right now. Like, you cannot—like, um, your life depends on it, apparently. And when I read it, I— It was like I was a target within the target, within the target, like within the target. Like this person has a problem with Mexican, Mexican Mexican-Americans, immigrants, which is me, with this border, which is my home. And then he like wrote something like, yeah, the problem is not that. The poor Mexicans. The problem is Mexicans that." Get out of the poverty and go to high school and go to universities and go to the good universities. And I was like, check, check, check. Well, that's, that's me, us. That's me. That's my friend. That's who, that's who this person has a problem with. Yeah.
1: Yes. That's what I felt, too, was the hate against uh, an ethnicity that is succeeding or is trying to succeed
2: very recently learned to take part
1: during rush hour. You and I went to go talk to other Latinos and Latinx people out uh, in the Fruitvale uh, area because I wanted to hear from them. I think I was searching for community. I think I was wanting to see other people who looked, sounded, and felt like me. I actually don't have a lot of Latino. Mexican friends
2: here. So I just wanted to connect with someone, be like, oh, you're in fear. I'm also, I'm also <laughs> in fear.
1: We spoke to a man who owned a little panaderia, a little bakery shop. His name is Miguel Casillas. And he seemed very angry and just mad at what was going on in this world and what was happening to Latinos. And, and not just because of the shooting, but the political climate even.
3: Hay mucho temor for for la verdad for nuestro presidente que tenemos que is racista no tenemos que decir lo que no es entonces este...
2: the first thing he said he was like yeah racism has always been there but like now it's like like all like on top of like the table and it's just like racing and that was so strange to me because I had not thought about that because I'm from El Paso and I I never had, like, any racist experience in El Paso, and I don't think any of my family members have either. Um, so that that's when I started realizing that every Hispanic, Latino, Mexican-American, Latin-American is going to have a different um, reaction and uh, has a different background and has a different life. So the nerve that this hit is totally different.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, do you mind if I ask you what your name
3: is? David.
1: David, David Flores. Good. David Flores.
3: Mm-hmm. Um, where are you from? Um, I was born here in Oakland. I, am, I have descendancy from Mexico. Both of my parents are born in Mexico.
1: Uh, One of the persons that we spoke to um, was David Flores. Uh, he worked at this uh, panaderia that we went to.
3: Basically, wherever you go, you know, you don't even know nowadays if you're safe. Uh, it's sad, but, you know, it's the reality that we're in right now. So He's
1: a little concerned, and of course, it, it makes him worried and all that. But he almost said, in, in order to fight this or to resist, I guess, against it, was to live your life, right? So go to work again. And um, he talked about taking his kids, his two little girls, to. Um,
2: yeah, to the movies and uh, seeing his wife looking around, I guess, acting different or strange and then he asked what she was doing and she was looking for an exit in case anything happened.
3: You kind of have to try to live a normal life as well. I can't be living scared but at the same time you know you always have your alert you know up high just in case anything Uh,
1: I mean, that touched me because that's when, you know, I went, I just recently went back home to San Antonio to go celebrate a wedding with my cousin and we went to this nightclub after. And it's the first thing I did. I walked around the nightclub looking around for exits just in case. And my sister was like, what are you doing? It's San Antonio. Like, nothing's going to happen. And now with El Paso, I'm like, something can happen, though.
2: People who we spoke to were frustrated, one of them was angry, and I haven't let those feelings out because I try to, I try not to be that kind of person, so it felt like at least someone's letting it out because I can't do it because I'm a journalist.
1: On social media, I've been following all of these threads on Twitter from um, Latinos and Latinx people who are pouring out, like, their feelings and have talked about um, doing things differently. They've talked about carrying, like, their passports. Um, I carry sometimes – maybe I shouldn't say this, but I carry my social security card everywhere. I shouldn't, but just in case, you know. And I'm very American, you know. (laughs) Like, I have – I was born here. My parents were born here. My grandparents were born here. I have personally been deliberately making eye contact with other Latinos that I see in public, being like, "I see you. I yeah. got you. I you got, got me. You. Right. <laughs> right. Exactly. Like, I, I see you. I promise. Like, I care about you. I love you, Pamela." was your
2: family doing? I called my mom earlier. Bueno. Bueno. I asked her if she wanted to talk to me in Spanish and even though she hates speaking English in public because she's very embarrassed of her accent. She th- she thinks people are going to discriminate her- against her. She did she was like, "No, I need to do the interview in English because one, I don't want to be targeted as like the Mexican immigrant who never learned English, and two, people need to know how we feel. I want the rest
0: of the people, uh, I want to let them know and understand what we are going through and uh, who we are and our feelings here in the United States.
1: When we were texting, you told me that your mom had said that you needed to basically be at work, that you need to go out and do something with journalism um, because of this. Tell me why. Because a Mexican mom doesn't want you to be a
2: journalist in Mexico, and then she doesn't want you to be a journalist in the U.S. because you don't get paid well. So that's always (laughs) been on the table, even though she supports me. But then she calls me the other day, and she's like, you cannot – like crumble, you're not gonna. This is not gonna like destroy you. Like, you better get yourself together. And you're a journalist, and you're you have to fight for us. She now understands why I do this, and it was the hardest way to learn. So, mom, I was the one who sent you the suspect's uh, manifesto of why he did what he did. Can you tell me? How you feel, how you felt after you read it?
0: Well, first of all, I believe that there's never, ever a good reason to kill someone else.
2: And that's when she started crying. Um... Because I sent her the manifesto, she started crying, she was like,
0: uh... I'm not sure uh, what his situation here is, Uh, I'm sorry, is, and um, maybe it could be that it's the way that he was raised, but it is wrong. When you read it, then you really understand,
1: like, the hate... It. It. That's why I had to read it. It's, I had to. It's very like, specific. It's, it's very specific. Stupid to to. Like I. I feel stupid. Not. I feel stupid. I feel bad for reading it, but I kind of like. No, I had to know. You have to. Did she give you any advice about how to move forward after this? I think what she
2: learned is that, which is a very maybe El Paso border. Mexican Catholic thing is just to remain a good person, like a good, loving person,
0: just to keep going and, uh,
1: and
0: uh, to keep up the the good work in the city and uh, to to be kind and.
1: I want to ask this last question, which is like, why did you want to do this episode with me? I missed an opportunity to
2: write another personal like story because I was just so depressed. I was so depressed about what happened that I, was, I just spent two whole days in bed. What I learned from this is that um, I'm, I'm telling you, I'm sharing my point of view. And after talking to people today, I'm not, I'm not speaking for every Mexican, Mexican-American, Mexican-immigrant, Latino, Hispano, Chicano. But I'm sure we have similarities as to, like, we're not feeling very well. So that's why maybe this can help someone else.
1: Thank you so much for talking to me and for doing this.
2: I know. Thank you for sending me that message. I
1: think we're friends now. <laughs> totally. Vianney Alderete Contreras is an engagement producer for KQED. I know the thing people say after acts of terrorism is to go about your normal lives, to do the things you would always do, you know, to be you. That's the strongest form of resistance that you can show a hateful person who does these kinds of terrible things. But I can't help that these shootings are changing me and what I do. You see, I'm making more of an effort to reach out to my Latino friends and strangers to let them know that I care. I'm making more of an effort to understand gun legislation. And I'm making more of an effort to simply talk and not to live in fear. The Bay is produced every week by me and Erica Cruz Guevara. Devin Katayama is our host. We got help for this episode from VNA. Julie Kane is head of podcasts at KQED. Our newsroom leadership includes Vinnie Tong, Ethan Lindsay, and Holly Kernan. The Bay is a production of member-supported public radio. If you like the show and what we're doing, please consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts and sharing The Bay with a friend. Thanks for listening. I'm Erica Aguilar. Abrazos, mis amigos.
3: Hey, KQED listeners. I'm right now as podcast host, Pendarvis Harshaw, dropping a line to invite you to a summer evening of live contemporary jazz at the KQED headquarters in San Francisco, Thursday, June 20th at 7 p.m. We've got a stacked lineup of dope musicians, including vocalist Jamie Z, saxophonist Lydia Rodriguez, and harpist Destiny Mohammed. And News Flash is the closing event for our podcast. We've had a great run, so help us celebrate the end of this chapter. Get tickets to Liner Notes Live at slash events. Did you ever wonder? Your podcast.